welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. It was not meant to be, unfortunately. It was another 4-3 result, but this time the United States came out on top to win their first ever bronze medal. They added to their collection of four golds and silvers because they needed another one, apparently. Megan Rapino and Carly Lloyd scored braces. Rapinoe's included an Olympico. I do not want to talk about it, and that was enough for them to secure the result For the Matildas, Sam Kerr scored goal number six of this tournament and goal 48 of her career, which makes her the now all-time leading goal scorer for the Matildas. Caitlin Ford and Emily Gilnick also uh, popped up with their first goals of the tournament, but as I said, wasn't meant to be. So it's fourth for the Matildas at the Olympics. It's their best ever result at this tournament and what a tournament it's been. It's been absolutely sensational. So Today, it's me, Marissa Lordanik, Angela Christian-Wilkes, Sam Lewis and Anna Harrington, and we're going to take you through the bronze medal match. So let's start with some quick reactions. We've all had the chance to kind of sleep on the result. How are we feeling about things and stuff? Angela, how are you feeling about the game? I think it's hard to know because, like, there were so many emotions and um, for those who might not know, like, Melbourne went into a lockdown just before the game as well. So I think going into that, there was, like, sort of latched onto it being like, please, please, I need this. We need this. Like, but once I sort of, if you separate it out, I just, I've, it's, I feel hopeful. I think it was, it was not our best game, but there were still glimpses of, I think what we could be, you know, we, we are on the verge of being a really good team and that's really exciting. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just I feel pensive, introverted, introspective, all of those things. And I, I tweeted as well. I don't feel like this was all too well. This is more holy ground, except not involving Joe Jonas. So yeah, I suppose that's what that's where I'm at. And I need like a far post translator bot for whenever <laughs> Angela references Taylor Swift. But yeah, that. that that's from um, te- both of those songs are from Taylor Swift's critically acclaimed and, in my opinion, her best album, Red. Um, but they have slightly different vibes. Just go listen. You're getting music recommendations now. This is a pop culture podcast. You are so welcome. Anyway. And get in before she re-records it so you can have the different experiences and the different vibes, I would, I would argue. But, Angela, it was actually completely relatable. I'm glad that, as Marissa said, we did sleep on it because last night I was like, we're in lockdown and the Matildas lost and I can't even see my friends to commiserate until we do the pod. Uh, so it was just, um, I think, a lot of emotions. I think a lot of people throughout Australia, was it 60-odd percent of Australians are in lockdown at the moment? Like, it's brutal. Like, uh, I think everyone is watching the Olympics and to fall short was, yeah, disappointing. And, yeah, when you when you look at it holistically, it's... Um, it's been a strong tournament. I think the the non-objective thing was, why did the Americans have to rock up last night? Could Won one game in regular time before that. <laughs> Clearly, by the sounds of the press conference afterwards, they had effectively the crisis talks after um, their loss to Canada. And clearly they fired up. Megan Rapinoe has just done Megan Rapinoe things, having had a quiet tournament by her standards and, um, Carly Lloyd's first goal in particular was just exceptional. Like the, the touch around Alana Kennedy and the finish on her left <clears throat> was, was just brilliant. You're like, you're 39, settle. 
Um, and won't mention the Olympico too much, Marissa, because I know that hurts your feelings. But yeah, it's it's a difficult one. Like it's one where you go, we didn't have Ellie Carpenter because of that suspension. And I guess to get straight to the point, Alana Kennedy had a tough night out. We saw obviously the the clangor where she's mishit the clearance and it's gone straight to Rapino, who credit to her has smacked an absolutely cracking volley. Like not many players would have the I guess the instincts and the skill and the awareness around them to pull that off. But Megan Rapinoe has got all them in spades. Um, and then also Kennedy, a rough moment uh, for Carly Galloyd's second goal just after halftime, which is a real hammer blow where she's really under, like Kristen Press, I think, has put the ball over the top. She's going toe-to-toe with Lloyd, really undercooks her header back to Tegan Micah, who's then stranded in no man's land and Carly Lloyd just goes and, I think nutmegged Micah to to make it four one. So yeah, it's it's a difficult one. Like it, as a whole, it was frustrating. It felt like a missed opportunity, especially given we drew level through Sam Kerr and then um, Ad French pulled off a great save to stop us taking the lead. Literally two minutes later, and then another two minutes after that, Rapino hits that volley. It's it just felt like another what might have been moment and. I think that was the general sentiment in the press conference with Tony Gustafson and Steph Catley afterwards. Came so close in the semi-final, and then to fall just short again, realistically, when you look at the scores by a goal again in the bronze medal match, it it really does just leave you wondering what might have been. And um, what someone else talked, but the, I think the quote from Steph Catley was it's, that it was hard to consider the tournament of success when a medal was what they wanted, and clearly they were all bitterly disappointed about that. I think as a whole, we, we'll, t- we'll talk more about the tournament, but, yeah, you, you couldn't help but feel that it was maybe a missed opportunity. I mean, I don't, I don't want to use that kind of language to talk about this game and to talk about this tournament. Like, one of the things that I really like about Tony Gustafsson is the way that he has used different kinds of words and different phrases to reshape how we understand things in football. His, his use of the word game changes, for example, in place of the word substitutes. Like it puts a completely different colour and shape and meaning into certain kinds of things. And when I look at this game, I don't think of this as falling short. I don't think of it as failing. I don't think of it as what might have been. I think of this in a very glass half full kind of way. Like we got to the bronze medal match. We, we finished this game 4-3 against the United States, you know, like we were a goal away from possibly pushing them for an extra half hour and who knows what could have happened then because we've seen what happened before. You know, how amazing is it that we got this far with the players that we had, with really the game that we had as well? It was not our best, as Angela mentioned before, considering the clangers that we had, considering the US arrived right at the pointy end of the the entire tournament. Like this was an amazing game. It was an amazing moment for this side and... I think it was a real credit to the players, to Tony, and just to the, the the new culture, the new energy, the new belief that they all have in themselves and in each other that they were able to get to the point. And we mentioned this in the last episode as well, where they were disappointed they didn't get a medal because they really could. They really believed that they could, and we all believed that they could as well. So, like, I'm, again, I'm not, like, I'm not disappointed, really, because this far exceeded, I think, everybody's expectations and had a couple of balls gone a couple of inches this way or that, you know, we might be 
bronze medalists at the moment. We might be gold medalists, but that's that's football, you know. And I'm just like, I'm just thankful that we were all here to sort of ride the wave. Yeah, no, Sam, I do like the way you've like repositioned because it's true. Like when I say a missed opportunity, it's like because we were so close. And I like that you have put it that way that it's great that we're in a position to say, I think we actually talked about this after the Sweden match too, that we are now in a position to be like, oh, we could have, we could have been going for goal. We could have had a bronze medal. I think that's like in terms of disappointment, we can't be disappointed in the way they went about it. And it was a real credit to them for fighting back from 4-1 down. I don't think there's many teams where you go, geez, it's 4-1 down. They can still do it, but you knew that they could still hit back. And had that Sam Kerr header off the Hayley Razzo cross not sort of hit the post and then just sort of, it was, I think I worded it as cruelly, like it cruelly deflected across the face of the goal to safety and Sam Kerr's not quite able to, you know, get there in time to to bury it the second. Like it was just cruel. It, was what, that's, it just felt like so close yet so far, like there were just inches in it, like, I think the commentary a lot was talking about AD French having a shaky game, but of course she stepped up and made the save um, in the first half where it would have put us in front. And that was, I think, the impression from Steph Catley post-match. And full, actually, full credit to Steph Catley, who stepped up and done the press conferences after the Sweden loss and then again after the bronze medal match loss. Um, I think that's a real testament to her leadership and the sort of character she is um, because player, a lot of players don't enjoy doing media at the best of times, even after a win. But when all those emotions must be running through your head of how close they'd come and, um, you know, just how difficult it all was, that's a credit to her. But, yeah, she made that point that it's it's difficult because went toe-to-toe with some of the best teams in the world and at times outplayed them. And like there were moments where they could have scored goals but didn't quite. So I imagine as players there's that competitive edge of, oh, what could have been. but you just can't fault the endeavour of them. We know that they were a lot of players were gassed going into that Sweden game. And by Ellie Carpenter, who was suspended, I think they all backed up again for this game, which is a credit to obviously the Matildas medical team, but also those players for, for what they are able to do. It's, um, yeah, it, it is difficult um, because you go, it could have been a medal, but at the same time, Sam, you're right in that coming into this tournament, I think we went, if we get to the semi-finals, how good? Like that will be overachieving because we'll have won a knockout game and we'll be in a position to challenge for a medal. And yeah, it's it's just a weird like mix of emotions right now. So it's a what might have been, but also what a tournament they put in nonetheless. And yeah, Sam, I enjoyed I enjoyed your piece that sort of said as much. Like everyone was riding the Matildas and everyone was getting behind them. The the TV audience has got bigger and bigger game on game. And I mean, it just sums up the pride that I think everyone has had in this team, even if, you know, they are ultimately going home empty-handed. This is the, like, thank you for mentioning that, Harry. This is one of the things that I, I wanted to bring up as well is is what Tony Gustafson said in the post-match presser. He came up with this absolutely sensational line that I included in my piece for The Guardian after the game. He said, you don't remember what someone said. You don't remember what they did, but you will definitely remember how you made them feel. You can win different things in life. You can win trophies and you can win the hearts of people. I think one of the reasons why those viewers are sky high in terms of numbers is that they show that they wear their crest on their chest and always give their best. 
the passion and the belief and what lives in this team in terms of the never say die attitude means we connect with a lot of hearts out there and they deserve that. And that's, I think, the biggest takeaway for me and for a lot of people from this tournament is that the Matildas have repositioned themselves as the team that they were a couple of years ago, that team that is really able to capture a nation, a, a team that we are all able to rally behind and really believe in and see the best versions of ourselves in. I had messages from people who have never really watched football before who have followed every ebb and flow of this tournament with the Matildas. My mum posting about why wasn't Mary Fowler being given more minutes. My brother running around the front of a television screaming at the referee for not giving Sam Kerr a penalty. Like these are people who have never really paid attention to the Matildas or to women's football before, but this team has captured them. It's captured more and more people. In my mentions, I'm seeing so many more new fans who have just been captivated by this brilliant team, this joyful team, this determined team. And it just makes me so proud to be part of this. You know, we are part of this community. We are part of helping to build the spirit and the vibe around these uh, remarkable women. And what a time for all of this to arrive. What a time for us to go toe-to-toe with Sweden, to go toe-to-toe with the USA, to go toe-to-toe with these teams that are ushering in this next era of women's football at international level. And for us to do it two years ahead of hosting a Women's World Cup is is like, it's just fairy tale stuff, you know? Like it couldn't have arrived at a better time. And it's going to give so many people in the game, in Australia in particular, so much more belief and determination to do everything that they can in the lead up to 2023. Like when I think about the W League now, as a result of how good this tournament has been for the Matildas, I have a completely different feeling about the way people are going to approach that league and those players and those teams. Like this, the ripple effects of moments like this, I think can't really be underestimated. That's why I'm just like, my takeaway from it is just all positive. A line I loved as well, Sam, from, Tony post-match and yeah Tony and Steph actually both look shell-shocked after the match the poor things like just uh what a what a couple of weeks they've been through but I liked when he got asked about um how much the loss will stick in their minds in terms of um hosting a world cup in two years which ties into what you've just said Sam um aims from this team what can they do going forward and he I like the quote that he said Tony said he said in the circle post-match to the players, I actually hope we never forget the feeling we felt after this loss because that feeling we never want to feel again. And we need to use it as fuel to make sure that we work hard, you know, go one day better so that come the 2023 World Cup, we have that feeling that we had against GB, that excitement, that celebration, winning to win. Like, and I love when teams do that. Like it's, you've got to turn it into something more um, we talked about the disappointment and Steph Catley saying, you know, we wanted to come away with a medal, but you go, can we use this fuel to take us to another level? And on home soil in two years, there's no reason to believe that this team can't, like, take their game to another level. Like, this team only came together under Tony, and we've mentioned it in previous podcasts, in April. And I think that was one thing that Steph Catley was really measured in talking about like how much this team has improved like we've like you know like this result was tough to take but this team is just getting better and better and if this is what they're capable of in just a couple of months together leading into a tournament 
then what about leading into the World Cup and other major tournaments? Like, what can they do then? Like, and that was the thing that really excited me that in amongst what would have surely been a bit of disappointment and, yeah, seeing the likes of Sam Kerr and Claire Polkinghorn just devastated after the match was awful to see. But if that was what they could do, take it up to Sweden, take it up to the US, beat GB, like it has to give them a huge amount of optimism as to what they can do going forward. And, yeah, I, I don't think they can leave with leave Tokyo with any sort of shame whatsoever. They can be proud of what they've done. I, I do want to touch on the last five minutes of the game, though. Holy moly, that was like the basically stoppage time was I felt like I was going to vomit like that because it felt so close. And I think um, as Sam and Anna have both covered that, like we were in it, we could have gotten a fourth goal and there were opportunities there that that header, you could say, Anna, it was casually cruel. <laughs> Another Taylor Swift reference for you. Um, but as well, like the the free kick that didn't go our way and like, Alex Morgan coming off for injury, like taking up some of that time with an injury. And then that felt like quick maths that we didn't really get that time added on sufficiently. And so I don't know, all of those things could sort of combined into it, but I don't think any of it was that we didn't have the tenacity to be able to get that fourth goal or we didn't have the drive or the, the will, like that was all there. And so I think that's the most important thing. Um, but, yeah, oh, that was – I'm sh- starting to shake just thinking about it. I don't think I'm going to be able to watch that anytime soon. Anna? Was that the biggest robbery of the tournament, that we didn't get to see Keegan Micah go up for a corner right at the end there? Like, since when do referees not let the last set play get played before blowing the whistle? Like, how often do you see that? Normally it's like, oh, yeah, you know, we've had the time on. Oh, there's a, there's a set piece here. We'll play that. And then usually once – Usually the goalkeeper's able to clear it, right? And then once the ball gets punted upfield, then they blow the We didn't even get that moment. We didn't even get to see if Teague and Michael could come in and just cause a bit of chaos. Real no Eskilstone moment for us. Like, the chalked-off goal from last game is probably our biggest one. But it was so odd, like, and seeing all the players arguing at the end because I don't think anyone, even the US players, were expecting play to just stop. Like, it was a real anti-climax. Like, you've got to have that last bit of play. Where's the sense of occasion, ref, is is my question. I was just going to say, how amazing would it have been if Tegan Micah had gone up for a corner and headed the winner? Like, I just, I would retire now, I think, and I would dedicate my whole life to building a very large bronze statue of Tegan Micah that would replace uh, the the uh, the big Jesus in, in Brazil. That would be, and we would have our version, and it would be her. And I'd put it, I don't know where I'd put it, but we'll decide that when I, when I finish. I mean, just... Sydney, do, Sydney does actually need a new icon, Sam, like <laughs> Opera House, the bridge. Like, you need something else to show the people to have in the background of their Zoom meetings and, and whatnot. Like, why not have the great Tegan Micah statue? That's like not out of the question. That is a thing that could exist one day. But I'm just imagining like in my mind, like Sam learning how to make like bronze statues. <laughs> and you remember that really terrible one of <clears throat> no, don't <Ronaldo>. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> And you're just like, you keep making them and you're like, something's not working. And it's just... <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, I, 
on a similar note, I suppose, I also really liked what you said, Sam, about like our sort of role in this, in like bringing people into the fold and into the women's football community um, and how we're essentially vibe merchants at this point. <laughs> but the like that's our... That's a that's a job, right? I can put that on the census. I'm a vibe merchant. Um, but you know, hopefully, and I really hope we have some new listeners after this who and just like we can say, yeah, welcome, join us. It's silly here. <laughs> Something of the actual game. I did enjoy, and initially this was gonna happen before Kai Simon and Caitlin Ford just combined out of nowhere for that goal. I um Tony just going. Fuck it, three teenagers on the field, off you go. Like swinging the triple change. Um, and it, I think it was going to happen earlier, but then Ford and Simon obviously combined for that goal and you go, oh, they found a bit of a spark. Let's let's see what they can create. And it ended up happening maybe 10 minutes later, I think. And it was exciting. Like Courtney Nevin, I thought, didn't really put a foot wrong when she came on. Um, it allowed Steph Catley to push further up the pitch. And I think that might be where we see Nevin more often than not if she can be used as part of that back three and know that she can be used at fullback as well, just to release Steph Catley, left-sided defender, obviously. Um, And we know that we saw some really positive little moments there from Fowler and Cooney Cross as well. Um, I know there are a lot of people calling for Mary Fowler to start um, this game, but I can imagine there's an element of not wanting to put too many Ks in her legs as well. Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford have a lot of runs on the board, obviously, as did Kai Simon this tournament. And Fowler's added a heap when players are tiring. And I thought I just thought adding those players in just added a bit more freshness. Um, and also credit to Emily Gilnick, who I think probably had a down tournament compared to what she would have been expecting, didn't really make an impact. And I know we talked about her not getting many minutes, but before now she's not really looked like creating anything big with those moments. But... Full credit to her for scoring an absolute banger. And were we not robbed of a late speculative set piece? Who knows what could have happened? But, yeah, I just thought it was exciting to see all three of those players come in um, because them and obviously Teague and Micah have have been some highlights of this tournament. It was just good to see them add something. And you mentioned, Sam, about Tony referring to players as game changers, um, as actual impact players, and it, it did feel like, the tide shifted a little bit when they came on. They just added something a little bit different. And for me, that was that was exciting. They looked busy. They looked like they'd grown in confidence. Um, obviously, never aside because it was her congratulations to her, her Olympic debut. But it did, it did feel like Fowler and Cooney Cross grew in confidence throughout the tournament. And it's, it's going to be exciting to see how they kick on from here, I guess. Speaking, I guess, of quiet tournaments and players or teams who decide to show up right at the last minute, Caitlin Ford, I feel like this was really the only game where she's sort of looked dangerous consistently. There have been a couple of very brief glimpses in previous games, maybe like an assist to Sam Kerr or sort of a a moment running at an opposition player where she's looked like the Caitlin Ford of old. But I was pretty disappointed and underwhelmed by how she seemed to go over the course of this whole Olympics. Like, she is probably, I mean, coming into it, she was, uh, you know, quite safely our second best attacker after Sam Kerr. And I just didn't feel like she showed up. I feel like Kaya Simon really overtook her in a lot of different ways. And 
yeah, I'd be curious about all your thoughts about how you saw Caitlin Ford and whether it was just a confidence thing, whether it was a form thing, whether it was an injury thing. Like how did you sort of see her over the course of the the whole thing? Might be a bit of a combination of things, Sam. Like we saw she didn't have a huge impact in the friendly she did play, like settling into a new system. Um, it's not been the same as the one she's played at Arsenal. I reckon teams have also put a lot of work into her, having seen how influential she can be, how well she links up with Sam Kerr, how important her delivery is. Um, And I think actually that has allowed Kaya Simon more room to shine because, you know, if you're putting work into Kerr and you're putting work into Ford, then... I mean, one of them's going to get away from you at some point, aren't they? Like, And credit to Kaya Simon for putting together a tremendous tournament. It's hard to know if she was dealing with a niggle throughout because we know she had that one in the warm-up um, against the USA in the group stage and wasn't able to play then. And it's a difficult one because I think she did a lot of grunt work in terms of winning fouls, especially against Sweden early. She was winning a lot of fouls, doing the hard work. Um, I think her and Steph Catley working together probably helped quell Lucy Bronze a bit. But I think in terms of that pure attacking output that we're used to seeing from Caitlin Ford, we haven't seen that this this tournament. I'd agree with you, Sam. It's because we know how dynamic she can be when she can cut inside and shoot or create. And I know she's helped create a couple of goals, but I, I thought she might have been a bit more prolific in terms of in terms of scoring, I guess. And we know Kai Simon's been busy, but she didn't hit the scoreboard either. So we're still very reliant, I guess, on Sammy being the one converting the goals so it'll be nice to see if going forward with more time together we can get a bit more of a balance in terms of where the goals are actually coming I know they all count but it's good if you can get more of a, an even distribution which is something that Sweden I think really had I know Rolfo scored a lot against us Stenius, um, Aslani, Jakobsen they all know how to chip in so we've got the quality there and I'd like I just yeah I'm with you there I would have liked to see more of a goal scoring output from Caitlin Ford. I don't think it was a poor tournament, but I think given our lofty expectations, maybe didn't quite meet them in that sense, at least. I imagine perhaps it could have been like a psychological thing as well. We've talked about the pressure on Sam Kerr, but as you said, she's our, Ford is our one of, well, yeah, arguably our second best striker. So I'm sure that probably comes into it a little bit for her as well. But going back to Anna's point about like bringing in the kids. I think that can only sort of be a good thing in this space as well to provide a little bit of competition and to maybe like step on a, the, our attacker's heels a little bit, Kaya Simon as well. And, and it provides us with, you know, options that are there to develop and to get better, but to also, I guess, um, yeah, prompt our established players a little bit more as well to, to work hard and to put in Um, does that make sense? I guess just like more people, more competition, it's all good. Um, I suppose after this game, defense chat, we get it. It's the situation is not great. It's not great. But I think the other big question as well is like how we unlock our like attacking players to be the best they can be and to also link up with the midfield and what sort of combinations are going to work there. So I think Ford's sort of like quiet, What's the word? Quietitude isn't the right one. That's too fancy, isn't it? It's not the right. For Caitlin Ford being quiet probably falls under that category of 
as well in terms of like how we can get the most out of players like her because it still seems I, I'm not an analyst and I can't tell you what the problems are or how we can fix it but it, it I just know that it's a question sort of hanging over our attack of how to not just rely on Sammy and to also bring in these incredible players that we do have um, and make it work with the right combinations and right starting 11s and all that jazz anyway hope that all made sense I'll be intrigued as to how um Elise Callan Knight's fitness progresses because I think if we can slot her into midfield that can release Van Egmont to be more creative and um obviously when we look at if in the future we can get Ellie Carpenter back out wide does that release Hayley Razzo to go forward like it's all a little bit what who can we plug in where to release who and I think I think a big one for me is getting Van Egmond a bit further forward. Um, I think she comes under a lot of criticism, some justified, but a fair bit seems to be people don't like the type of player Emily Van Egmond is. But realistically, look at the last calendar year and she was arguably, bar Kerr and probably Carpenter, the best, um, the best performing Australian player, certainly in national team colours during that Olympic qualifying period and at club level. And if, I think when she gets the shackles released, and we... I don't need to go too far into it. We know what a quality player she can be when she is given the opportunity to link up more and attack and has to do less of the, the grunt work. Um, yeah, I think that will be key if we can get some more players releasing. I thought Tamiki Yallop was very positive in this area, though. Like that um, French save was off the back of Yallop putting in like just beautiful ball for Kerr to, to head it on target and... Yeah, I don't know. It just feels like there's a few little things still to tinker with that we can get right in terms of getting the best out of our goal scorers. But at least seeing that Kaya Simon Caitlin Ford link up for our second goal gave a, a bit of optimism as to what we can create as these players settle more and more into this system. And it's probably it's probably something worth thinking about as well. We've seen some changes like Steph Catley becoming clearly our number one set piece taker, which has been a really, really positive change and a really, really exciting change. And quite a few players have got on the end of what Steph's been able to deliver. And I think we're going to see things change a little bit going forward. Um, But yeah, as to what the answer is. Well, there are going to be lots of answers, right? And that that was sort of, I think, one of the ulterior purposes of this whole tournament for Tony and the coaching staff was this is really one of the few opportunities that you get, these high-pressure, high-turnover tournament environments where you get to really see what your weaknesses are, what are the areas in your team, in your squad, in your system, in your tactics that needs to be addressed moving forward. And that's one of the great things about the fact that Tony is on board with us for a while because he obviously has the tactical brain to be able to incorporate his understanding of football with the players at his disposal, but he also seems very flexible. He seems open to adapting his style and the way he wants to approach football based on what he, he, he's got to work with. And so moving forward, now that he knows what this team can do here, he has been able to see what else needs improvement and perhaps the ways in which other players can be utilised more effectively or more efficiently. So absolutely, Harry, I agree with you. Van Egmond pushing further up in midfield, I think, is a key one. Um, that perhaps ask the question about formation as well, because if Tony wants to persist with uh, sort of a 3-5-3 three, three or w- w- whatever, then that, you know, it, it changes the combination of players you need in midfield by virtue of who needs to do more running to cover for certain things. And I think the US game 
in the bronze medal match uh, sort of exposed a little bit of that. We looked quite outnumbered and outrun in midfield a lot of the time, particularly in the first half. Um, and that wasn't necessarily a problem with players. It was just about formation. It's just about the the kind of system that Andonovsky deployed versus Tony and, and those two systems not quite um, uh, meet, like seeing each other eye to eye, I guess. Um, but a good coach is one who can adapt, as he always says. And I think he was able to do that. He was able to make adjustments. He was able to move players around um, in order to bring Australia back into the game as well as he could from his position on the sideline. And then the responsibility fell on the on the shoulders of the players. And, you know, that's great. That's what football is. Um, but, yeah, now, I, now I'm really, uh, really looking forward to seeing how he goes about his, I guess, his scouting. Uh, for the next major tournament that the Matildas will be playing in, which will be hopefully the Asian Cup uh, next year in India. Uh, That's not necessarily a tournament we need to uh, send our best and brightest out game after game because we've already qualified for the Women's World Cup. The Asian Cup is the sort of qualifying tournament for the Women's World Cup the following year. And because we're hosting it, we automatically qualify. So that really is a a unique opportunity for Tony to bring in a whole lot of other kinds of players to really experiment and see how they can fill in the holes and answer the questions that this Olympic campaign has started to ask. Yes, Sam, I agree. It's about developing more depth, which I think is the key. Testing out players. Can you, yep. and I, I think people on in Australian football love bringing out Alex Chidiak in particular. Can those sorts of players go and do their thing at club level, get lots of runs on the board, and step up. I was fascinated, and Sam, I think we talked about last night, seeing people talk about just after coming forth at the Olympics, taking it up to Sweden, taking it up to the US in the bronze medal match, people talking about almost like a clear out, <laughs> like who's getting moved on, who's who's going and who's getting brought in. Because for me, the biggest thing we saw in this tournament was we need more depth. We need the options to come off the bench. We need more players who can exactly. plug and play, who can be used as genuine options. Like I know the US didn't have their best tournament, but you look at who they could bring off their, Rose Lavelle, for example, off the bench. You look at Sweden who were able to rotate and not have to play Blackstinius every minute, not have to play all their best players for every minute. We need to develop depth. And for me, that is completely at odds with what I was seeing from some of the, the commentary, particularly on Twitter last night about who gets shipped off and who do we move on? And I, I mentioned Van Egmond. I saw people talking about Van Egmond and Yala Pagazo and all these, all these players who have played pivotal roles throughout this tournament. It, it was quite a fascinating uh, discussion when I didn't agree with it. Um, I think the players that you maybe look at, will they go again? Obviously, Laura Alloway has retired. Ivy Lewick is 36. Claire Polkinghorne's had a great tournament, but is clearly at the tail end of her career. Um, but for me, I don't think there's going to be wholesale change. It's about players bumping their way in. It's, it's, I think it's a, a fallacy people fall into a lot with every sport is play the kids. Yeah, but the kids have got to earn their spot. You've got to push players out. Mary Fowler is a standout talent. Same with Kara Cooney-Cross. And Courtney Nevin has clearly shown a bit as well. Uh, we know Charlotte Grant didn't appear, but she was in the squad. And obviously, Tegan Micah is well and truly put her hand up and then made that goalkeeping spot her own. Like these players have earned their spots. And I think that's what's going to be exciting about the Asian Cup is who can step up and say, I want a spot. I'm going to put my hand up. We've seen a bunch of players just head to Europe who clearly want to play a lot of football. We've got that collective over at Fortuna Hearing with um, 
like of India, Paige Riley, Angie Beard, Claire Wheeler, and I know that Alex Hoon is there as well. But we've got these players that are making their moves. And I saw Winona Heatley go to Sweden as well. Like all these players that are saying, I want to put my hand up. And that's the exciting thing for me. I was, yeah, I think it's not a clear out. It's about who can step up and, and add to this talent pool. Angela? I think the weird thing about like the mentality of just play the kids as well is that it's not just about like talent. It's also, you have to, I'm sure there must be a psychological side of it to be developed and you can't just like plonk a kid in place of, for example, Laura Brock who's moving on and expect that they're going to be able to like stand up to it mentally to big games. Like when you mentioned um, as well, Harrow with like Fowler not starting for me I I thought well putting Fowler on where she's at in her career for a big game like the bronze medal match that must have impacts that you have to think about in terms of how that's going to like her performance and the consequences of her potentially not having a good game in a bronze medal match and that sort of thing so it's that that side of it as well is sort of interesting I'm not a sports psychologist but I'm sure there's like a lot to think about in that department. I'll kind of draw upon a lot of different threads that you've both sort of addressed here. One is club form, one is depth, and one is psychology. And I think all of those threads really coalesced in the performance of Alana Kennedy uh, in that bronze medal game. I think that she, I mean, we shouldn't bang on about it too much because she knows she had a poor performance. We all know she had a poor performance and it's going to be something that lingers with her for a long time, as her penalty miss did in 2016. Um, but I think it is worth reiterating that club form and the decisions made at club level can have major impacts uh, on the way that you perform at international level. And we've spoken, I don't know how many people are listening to this podcast recently, but we've spoken in the past during the, the most recent uh Women's Super League season where Lana Kennedy was playing for Tottenham Hotspur uh, in central midfield. She got maybe two or three games at centre-back and we we're all quite sceptical about that and what it meant for her Matilda's form. And I think this, you know, this game was maybe a, a little bit different compared to the, the last ones that she had for the Matildas, but it, it was clear that there were some moments where much more experience and more recent experience at centre-back would have stood her in much better stead than the decisions that she ended up making because she there were some pretty basic I think errors there some technical errors some decision making errors that maybe she did just because she had forgotten what it was like to be in that situation she hadn't played center back for so long so yeah I'm curious to see now particularly what Kennedy does in her next move because she's not returning to Tottenham at last I heard um, but she's obviously still good enough to play her club football overseas. So it, whether she goes back to America, whether she stays in England, England, whether she goes to Sweden, whether, you know, I, I think that she is going to hopefully now that she's older and wiser, she's no longer that 21 year old who missed the penalty in Rio. She can see the relationship now between club and national team form. And she's going to make hopefully a, a more informed decision about her club game uh, based on her experience over Tokyo. The de- most depressing we were right possible because you don't. Yeah, it, it wasn't nice to see that, and it's not nice to think about how she's probably yeah feeling after that match. Um, friend of the pod, Tom, he's a big Alana Kennedy defender because obviously she makes these mistakes, and everyone's like, 
um, and I mentioned, I think a couple of episodes ago, it's because she's like got the smarts to um, play the ball forward and she's good. She makes good passes and she's got that sort of forward momentum attached to her. But I think the interesting thing is for me, first of all, like, Alana Kennedy as a leader, is that going to be the thing? We've talked about this before. Is she going to be the person that steps into the boots of someone like Polkinghorn in terms of what she brings on the field um, in organising and leading our defence? And the other thing as well is if we do have someone like Alana Kennedy as a like a consistent per- person in our back line like that, um, there are other things that we need to be looking at in terms of the defenders that accompany her back there, um, which we perhaps didn't see and was perhaps missing as well in terms of Ellie Carpenter. Like someone, Ellie Carpenter does get a lot of criticism for sometimes not defending as much as she should. But what I realised, I was thinking about this earlier, is that when she comes back to defend, she puts everything on the line and a lot of the time she will get to the ball and she will make um that tackle that needs to be made in like really important moments. So having defenders back there, I suppose I just answered my own question. You could have Ellie Carpenter back there, but we also really want her to be able to attack up the field and be on the wing. So I don't know. It's, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one, but it's all exciting. And, you know, again, bringing in the kids, bring a little bit of competition to those positions and perhaps not as much complacency and just expecting that you'll be able to play back there because you're naturally good at it or naturally good at football. I think getting KK back, as I don't want to bang on about it, will help in that regard too because she has such a calming presence. And if you have her in that screening role, um, she's a leader, she's composed, she can help set up the attack but also do that defensive work as well. Not to put too much pressure on her, but I think having a player with that sort of experience, more than 100 caps, such a respected player, will actually help if we can get that in terms of Midfield. Um, before we wrap, I want to just mention Laura Brock. Um, obviously announced a few hours before the match that this would be her final game for the Matildas. Um, and I just think it's a real credit to her the way she has gone about, especially the tail end of her career. Um, she got a few minutes late, obviously, so she made two appearances off the bench this tournament. But this is a player who looked well and truly out of the frame and then went to Melbourne Victory, put in like an incredible W League season leading that defence, got called up for the 2019 World Cup, came back into favour under Ante Milicic, was really good in the lead-up, and then had that really unfortunate foot injury and missed the Olympics, but played such a role in the dressing room in terms of supporting that team. Chloe Lagaza referred to her as a superwoman, which was her iconic celebration, the miracle of Montpellier, which just underlines the quality of person Laura Brock is. Um, and she played a big role in terms of supporting Carly Ross back in a player who I think we could have actually used in this tournament um, played a big role in terms of supporting Carly Ross back and to step into that hole and have a real impact. Um, and then, yeah, she obviously missed out on the World Cup, fought back again, <laughs> had another top season, then obviously went to France and um, clearly enjoyed her time there, worked her way back into, into calculations and she's managed to finish her career with a couple of appearances at the Olympic. You, you speak to anyone who has ever worked with Laura Alloway as a player, as a coach, as a staff member at a, at a club, be it physios, media, whatever. You, everyone just has great things to say about her as a as a player, and more importantly, as a person. Um, 
it, she's clearly ready to move on to the next stage of her life now, but I don't think you can underestimate the sort of influence she's had. Um, and the reaction of her teammates on social media yesterday, hours before one of the biggest games of their lives, I think really reflected that. And another moment was um, post-match. Her career had just finished, but there were photos actually of her sort of on one knee speaking to Steph Catley, who was on the ground, clearly devastated. So I think that's a testament to the both the player and the person that even in her, what I can imagine would have been an overwhelming number of emotions, won the loss to the final game of her career, was still comforting her teammates. So, yeah, Laura Brock, congratulations on a great career. Yeah, absolutely. And just to sort of reiterate that, there are a couple of memories that I have of Laura throughout this Tokyo Olympics. We mentioned it in, I think, the after the Great Britain win where she was just in tears. She was crying probably more than any of the players who actually took to the field because it meant so much to her to, to see this team and to see her colleagues, her friends, her family in a lot of ways reach this incredible milestone. And speaking of her relationship with Chloe Legazzo in particular, I uh, recall seeing a shot of the two of them at halftime in the bronze medal match where Legazzo, the Matildas sort of came out early from the tunnel and they were getting ready to, to go, go again. And Brock had pulled Legazzo over to the sideline and Legazzo was looking quite um, a little bit despondent, a little bit uh, lacking in confidence, not, not quite um, assured of, of what she was doing and and you know it was 3-1 at that point so the Matildas weren't was probably not feeling great about it but Brock was she had both hands on Legazzo's shoulders and was staring her in the eyes and was just telling her obviously something to to pump her up just to believe in herself to to, to not give up and you know when we spoke about Brock in a previous episode we, we tied in players like Lydia Williams we tied in players like KK like Luick like Polkinghorne players who are veterans of this team, mothers of this team in some ways, players who may not have had huge roles on the field but have very, very clearly had huge roles off it in terms of this culture, in terms of the mentality of these players, in terms of teaching them lessons, of keeping them calm, of doing all the psychological and emotional labour that often goes into football behind the scenes. And I think that's what makes players like Brock so remarkable and so worthy of remembering is because they have contributed to the careers of so many other people in ways that aren't really quantifiable. There are moments like that of grip, of gripping Legazzo by the shoulders and saying, don't give up, don't drop your head, we've still got this. That it, in, in moments like this, in high-pressure moments like this, a, a, a phrase like that from someone you trust can change everything. And that is what is so fabulous about players like Brock and why she will be so deeply missed, I think, by the Matildas and by a lot of people in women's football generally. I really hope she'll still be around because I'm sure she can continue to bring all those wonderful qualities to this team, um, even if she's not, you know, playing. Sam, don't cry. Stop crying. Sam's crying. Now I'm crying. <laughs> I can have a lot of feelings. <laughs> all right. Said what we've said sort of person you hope does stick around the game whether it's in coaching in punditry in um whether it's involved at the junior levels or lower levels like just the sort of person that the game's better off for having and the Matildas clearly have been better off for having around so yeah congratulations Laura Brock and good luck for what comes next final thoughts obviously we had Sam Kerr 
breaking that record now. So just awesome stuff. The Sam, oh, the Sam Kerr goal was so good. Like, just that's my one thing I want to mention. Like, I think a lot of people have honed in on her aerial ability and fair enough, but this is another finish where Caitlin Ford just, we talked about her, just sucked in those defenders and put it through. And just the composure for Sam Kerr to rifle that home on her left from a tight angle is the sort of finish that we saw all through the FAWSL season and I think once again underlined how she had stepped up her game. And Marissa mentioned she's overtaken Lisa Devanna as her all-time leading goal scorer. For the Matildas, I think she's only a couple away now from, well, she's three away from overtaking Tim Cahill as Australia's top goal scorer ever. And she scored six goals this tournament. And yeah, I think it's just worth touching on what a phenomenal player she is, especially after a quiet start to life under Tony and the friendlies. Big players step up when it counts. They save them for the big games. And um, once again, like Kerr scored one, had one saved by French, had another sort of cruelly hit, as I mentioned, casually cruel, Angela, hit the post and drift away. Like this could easily have been another Sam Kerr game. And especially after being sore before the semi-final, let alone before this game, it's a real credit to her how she led the Matildas through all this. And it's, it's super exciting. She's a superstar and we, I know we talk about it, but I think it is a credit to her and this team, how they, how they just kept on keeping on, really. <laughs> so to have that sort of resilience, and that was something that was evident across the whole team, right? It was something that epitomised this game, it's epitomised this tournament. When they go behind and when they have a setback, they go again, they fight again. And it's something that Tony Gustafsson credited them for. It's something that I think all of Australia has loved them for and... You, you see it. It's not stuff that you're imagining, this resilience. It's not stuff that you're going, oh, yeah, they, you know, they must be resilient. You, you can see it. They go again. They reset. And that's something that's been really exciting, the fortitude from this team across the board. Sam Kerr has it in spades. Alana Kennedy has had a down game last night, but she's shown that she can bounce back as well. And I'm confident Ellie Carpenter will also bounce back from the disappointment of that red card and, what it meant for Australia in the bronze medal match. Um, I think that's one of the things we can really take out of this. Because if you're going to, if you're going to challenge at major tournaments, you have to be resilient because things don't always go your way. And for me, that's one of the most exciting things we've seen. I know never say die is the the phrase, but you really did see it. And that was included in this game. Even the one that didn't go our way. This game and the Sweden game, they didn't go our way, but you never felt like they had ruled themselves out. And that's what you love to see. But yeah, I think I think yeah, we've summed it up basically. But the overarching feeling here is very much one of hopeful optimism, which is really nice considering uh, how everything else is going. But thank you so much for tuning in today. We will have a wrap of the entire tournament coming out very very soon, so keep your ears peeled for that. But you will find it on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app as well as Apple, Spotify and Google. If you've liked what we've done during these Olympics, feel free to subscribe and leave a review if you've liked it. Uh, If you want to have a chat to us, we're at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But uh, until next time, see us.